Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. think we are up and Cheryl you are in a place to be how's it going thanks for being here yeah so good to be here with you Chris yeah so like I was saying just before we uh started the record here the reason I wanted to talk to you was uh because of imposter syndrome and I think I've heard you say that everybody probably has some kind of take on it or is you know, as can relate to it in some senses. And I know I recently here in the past couple of years, I've actually started to figure out what it is and how it's actually kind of impacted a little bit of my life. And yeah, so I was like, Ooh, somebody who has actually wrote a book on this would be an interesting conversation, especially for me. And I think most of my listeners, but um, I guess we should start off maybe, you know, a little introduction with yourself and maybe why you wrote the book. If you want to give the audience that. Sure. Sure. Happy to. And by the way, I'll just, um, show you the book. So it's The Imposter Lies Within. And I say that because I think that the cover and the name is sort of interesting because really the imposter lies within and the imposter lies within. It's a liar. But ultimately, um, you know, I, I had all this business experience. I had close to 30 years in the business world, worked for big companies. I worked for small companies. I had my own company, one of them for 20 years. So I've kind of been around that, that block. And I was always very interested in um, physical and emotional health and, you know, building great teams and that sort of thing. And so I did the deep dive into the healing arts. I'm an integrative hypnotherapist. I, which all that means is that I've studied and I practice multiple modalities of hypnotherapy. Okay. I'm an NLP master. You know, I did a clinical certification in stress, anxiety, and emotional regulation. I've studied the neurosciences, cognitive behavioral neuroscience. And I just like to have a lot of tools, in my tool belt, so sure. that I can work with people individually and have more things to bring to them in a more holistic kind of whole person, whole life way. So with that, you know, I was working with people and I was helping them with manifestation, helping them to, you know, figure out what wasn't working. Why was 
why were the, the things, the things that were all taught with manifestation, you know, do the mantras, do the affirmations, just write yourself a check. Just, you know, think about it and you'll attract it. But why were they not working? Why were sure. people still attracting what they already had, you know, get more of the same or bringing in with, you know, almost the opposite of what they wanted. And so I realized it was really like deep in the foundation in the, there were these limiting beliefs and blocks and fears and mixed messages going on. And I found this umbrella syndrome, the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. that really looked at those gaps, that really looks at the cracks in the foundation, why we're not really calling in the life that we truly desire, we truly want. When we say, I want this, we want it, we desire it. We even do what we think are the right things to get it. So where does this self-sabotage come from? Why are we kind of missing the boat? Ooh, yeah, a lot of play in right there. But so let's let's talk about that. So this is the way I would define imposter syndrome. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's basically the way I see is maybe getting called out on your talents, so to speak, and that you might look like a fool when trying to do something or in it's like self-negative talk at the same time almost. Does that kind of make sense or... Well, that, that describes some of the thoughts and some of the behaviors okay. around it. Yeah. And so to really go even deeper, because that's definitely part of it, um, the way I describe it is as a pattern. It's a psychological pattern where somebody feels like they're not good enough or maybe worthy or deserving. There we go. In spite, in spite of their accomplishments. So you're talking about having the accomplishments, really being accomplished. I'm not talking about being a beginner. I'm not talking about... Well, I'm not sure if I'm good at this. I've never done it before. I'm talking about somebody that is out there that has the accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And yet there's that disconnect. This it, They call it a cognitive dissonance. It's where your mind is not connecting to your feeling. If you think about it that way, it's just disconnected. And so we still feel like, oh my God, I'm just, you know, I, somebody, for example, you do something great and you've done it over and over and over. And somebody sure. says, Hey, Chris, wow, that was an amazing presentation. Or that was so cool the way you did this. And you might even say, thank you. And appear very confident. You put on your confidence suit, but inside mm-hmm. there's another conversation going on in your head, that yep. negative self-talk, like, Oh my God, you know, they're just saying that, Oh, I was just lucky. Oh, it was just because I've these other people or these external things. Sure. And you know, it just does, you know, and there's that anxiety. So if you made a mistake, all you can think about is that flaw, right? And exactly. it kind of ruminates over and over in your mind. Oh my God, I'm such an idiot. What the what the heck? What did I do? And yeah. So it's that disconnect. It's that simple. There's a disconnect. And so what I do when I look at imposter syndrome, and again, my book is 20 chapters long. There are 20 exercises. It goes through four stages, phases. So it's really a journey to understand what it is, get the insight, because everybody's a little bit different, mm-hmm. right? I agree. Right? Understand where you're out of alignment for you. Um, get back in alignment and then integrate so you can really get past it. Yeah. But uh <laughs> 
yeah, so so I can't remember where I was going with that. No, that's, that's perfectly okay. <laughs> Just because that's exactly what I was trying to say that, you know, like I was saying, you know, I compete in CrossFit. And so I'm not an elite, I'm not an elite CrossFitter, but, you know, I'm probably more advanced and I do a lot of the regional or, well, not a regional, but more local tournaments and competitions around my area. But before I really get ready to go, we usually we get three workouts. It's usually guaranteed during your day. But each workout is like that negative self-talk comes in my head and that I start to, you know, like, Hey, Chris, why are you, why are you here? Why are you doing this? But usually like you, how it works. So like, it's always up to the right moment, you know, right before we're walking into the, the gym and we're getting ready to do whatever exercise, whatever we have to do. But right when that 10 second clock hits, they give us a 10 second countdown and you got to go. That's when immediately I try to flush out my brain and say, okay, dude, positive talks. You got it. You're good. You're fine. And it does, that's just something I've kind of learned from other professionals that they've done. But it seems like a lot of people have suffered from imposter syndrome and more than I would have ever imagined. And just kind of what you said that, you know, you, I think you said before we got on here that you, you thought more women actually were. Um, no, no, uh-huh. I don't. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the myths. There are a lot yes. of myths out there about imposter syndrome. A lot of people think it's a female phenomenon. There we actually, go. That's- yeah. Men and women, women experience imposter syndrome almost equally. Sure. Just differently, just differently. But you know, when we, like, if we can just go back, for example, to your example. Yeah. Because I think you have a lot of people, a lot of cross, what do you call it? Crossfitters. Crossfitters, (laughs) whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, Which is really cool, by the way. Thank you. So, but you're performing, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're, you want to go in peak performance, Mm -hmm. right? You're training for it. You're doing the work. And this negative self-talk. You know, I always like to say I never thought I was a bully until I heard the way I speak to myself. <laughs> you know, and if you think about it, would you hang out with somebody that was talking to you like that? No, would yeah, I, I, try to push, I try to push people out of my life like that, negative and toxic. People, stuff. right. And who do you have the most influence over? Who do you have? Where do you have the most choice in your world? I guess in my own world, right? Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean... I'd like to influence my best friend. I might like to tell my, my really wouldn't, but as an example, you know, sometimes somebody does something stupid and you're like, I just stop it. And they're, you know, but ultimately they're on their own journey. They, they have to do for them. But in your life, you are the writer, the director, the producer, the Mm -hmm. lead actor, the casting director of your own life, right? Mm -hmm. You get to choose. I don't actually even believe in control. I don't think there is such a thing as control. I think control is a myth. I think what we have, and if we let go of control, it's like, oh, I don't have to worry about controlling anything because actually there is no such thing as control. But I have choice. I have influence. And where do I have the most choice and influence? Me, with me, with my thoughts. So the first thing I would ta- say to someone is, all right, we know this is happening and we can actually do a deep dive into the subconscious mind because okay. usually we like to find the root of where this came from. So we can, we can actually pull the roots out. We can change it at the, its inception, the origination. We can actually do that. And we want to let that kind of remodel through the timeline. But there's also, that's the inside out approach to getting past imposter syndrome. The outside in is repatterning the thoughts and the beliefs and the self-talk. So the first thing you say is, 
let's get to what that core belief is. And most people don't come up with it the first time. Sure. So what's that belief? But eventually, as you start to peel back the layers, it usually gets down to this belief of not good enough, mm-hmm. not worthy, not deserving. Sure. Not, it doesn't have to be all of these, by the way. It's one or more. Sure. Sometimes, sometimes it's all of them. Um, my voice doesn't matter. I don't matter. I'm not lovable. Why would anybody love me? You know, these are things that come from either we didn't get something we needed as a child or we got something we shouldn't have gotten. That's what I was getting ready to ask when you saw to get to the root of the problem. Does a lot of this come from childhood experiences? Yeah. Yeah. And so when we get to that belief, even if we do the deep dive, we, we need to repattern the mind because there are actually, this is, um, this is the neuroscience part of this, you know, you actually our neurons connect and they create neural pathways and those become patterns and habits. Sure. So we actually need to create new neural pathways and make the new neural pathways, the more familiar, the more comfortable path for our mind to take. So that's the repatterning. So it's reprogramming and repatterning. So what I would say to somebody is first, let's really clear that belief. Let's find out what the real belief is. So we uncover, we discover, we can use hypnotherapy, but we don't have to. We figure out what it is and where it came from. And we we kind of, you know, it's not that, it's not, you know, our beliefs are formed from our experiences, but not so much the experiences. It's the narrative, the story we gave, the meaning we gave, the interpretation we had at that age, at that stage. So you imagine the difference that a three-year-old little boy or a five-year-old little girl, right? Or a seven-year-old would have of an experience versus a 25-year-old or a 35-year-old or a 55-year-old. It's different. So we can go back. And so if somebody's had a really hard experience, trauma, even traumatic, um, we're not changing the experience. The experience happened, but we can go in And we don't go into the experience itself, by the way. We never go back into a trauma, but we can go in and we can change the narrative around it. And we can change the weight and the intensity of it. And we can let that child express because usually they've not been able to express their emotions. So they got suppressed, right? You're right. Is that because, you know, I've talked about this on here before too, but, you know, kind of growing up that, you know, especially with more males that it was kind of, you know, obviously not manly to show your feelings. And yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of like you talked about the narrative, you know, growing up, we, you know, I was a sucker for all those eighties action movies and tough guys and stuff, yeah. you know, it's like, Oh man, you know, guys don't cry. You know, we just push it back down here and we get over yeah. it, you know? So I think that was kind of, you know, when I was growing up, this kind of the narrative and like, you know, if you started to cry, you know, during elementary school or, you know, you got hurt or something, you had to cold back your tears and, you yeah. know, it was, it was hard being vulnerable. Never really taught how to be vulnerable. Yeah, it is hard. It's hard for both men and women, but it's especially hard for men um, because of conditioning and because our brains are different. Men and women's brains are actually different. So they're, they they connect differently. So men have convergent brains. They're very, you know, that's why men like want to get the goal done. They want to, you know, get to the finish line. Sure. And women have divergent thinking. They have many, many more connections. They can't turn their brains off and they run around all particular possibilities with the situation. 
And so anyway, that's another discussion. So part of it is conditioning. Um, and it can be anything. Let me give you an example from my okay. life. Go ahead. Give you an example. So I grew up in what most people would consider a really beautiful life, like two parents, nice household. We were middle-class, upper-middle-class, you know, like I grew up on Quiet Place Drive. Seriously, like who oh. grows up on Quiet Place Drive, right? <laughs> and um, it's kind of like Little House on the Prairie. It's kind of silly, but my parents really loved us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really, there was no abuse. My parents had their own dysfunction. There was dysfunction, you know, but it wasn't serious. It wasn't bad. But here's what happened for me. When my parents would argue, my mother had a hard time showing her emotion because her parents never showed it. So she'd hold everything inside. My dad was very generous, very loving, very big hearted, but he had a big voice and he had a big temper. And so he would get angry and he was a yeller. He didn't mean anything by it. He loved you. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like he never hit, he never did anything like that, but He had a big voice and I was a little girl. And so dad, when he would get angry about something, the way he kind of blew off steam is he'd leave, get in the car and go for a drive. So I'd hear the door shut. A little girl, it sounded like a slam. I'd hear the car turn on and drive away. And in my mind, it felt like, where do you go? What did I do? Did I do something wrong? And I was one of three kids. It wasn't me, but... What did I do? Was it me? Yeah, you just didn't know. I didn't know. And is he going to come back? So it felt like abandonment. And I grew up with all this people-pleasing behavior, you know, playing small and, um, you know, wanting to never, you know, having trouble setting boundaries, always saying yes, wanting everyone to like me, never feeling like I belonged. And I'm not saying that's the only part of it, but that was like one of the things I was able to uncover and realize. I wasn't being abandoned. So when that little girl was, when we were able to kind of go back and say, you know what, you weren't abandoned. It wasn't your fault. You're good, you know, and you know, all the stuff you can see, but abandonment is a big one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And just, I'm, I'm very similar. I was a very middle-class family and, you know, my parents got divorced when I was three, but I never felt that I was, abandoned, but I just, I I was three years old. I didn't really know what was going on at the time, but as I got older, I guess I kind of figured like, oh, okay, this is, I just don't have a dad around right now. But, but yeah, I never, I think I never felt those that way, but I do can relate that I was also a people pleaser just because that was kind of what, I guess I don't want to say it was a theme in my household or a rule, but it was this kind of thing that, you know, if anybody ever asked you to uh, do something for him. You always said yes, no matter what it was, you know, you know, yeah. whether it was chores to go help the neighbor, or, you know, go help, a, you know, your mom's friend to move or whatever. And so even if you didn't want to do it, you always did it. And yeah, so I can relate a lot to what you were saying. And, yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting, Chris, because when we're talking about people pleasing people, the people pleaser is one of these archetypes that I talk about in my book. So I have a framework so people can understand you know, how imposter syndrome is showing up and what the traits and characteristics and behaviors are. And there are seven. And so the people pleaser is one of them. So most people wouldn't think, 
I'm a people pleaser, that's a bad thing, or I'm a people pleaser, and what does that have to do with imposter syndrome? Mm -hmm. But you see, when we feel like we're not good enough, when we feel like somehow we're not worthy, and we're even not sure where it goes, some of the behaviors are, you know, I want to please everyone. I don't want to say no, because if I say no, they might go away. They may not like me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's part of being a human too. You know, you want to be good at everything and you want people to like you. And if, you know, and I think, and if they don't like you, it tends to, and I think a lot of people will say that they don't care if people don't like them and stuff, but I just, sometimes I wonder if that's a defense mechanism. Yeah. I think that there's, there's this whole concept that I talk about in the book called the healthy zone. Okay. So, so in the healthy zone, all of these behaviors are adaptive. They're, they're not bad. They're human as you talk about, right? So being a good person, wanting to do nice, wanting to help a friend out. That's not really people pleasing, but we think of it that way, but it's just being a good human being. I'm going to do what I can. If somebody needs me, I'm going to try to say yes, if I can, what happens and, you know, fear, fear is another one in the healthy zone. We don't really want to have no fear because if you had no fear, you do stupid stuff, right? Sure. Right. You jump, run into the, you jump off cliffs. You, I mean, I know you guys probably do that anyway, but <laughs> you know, you run into the lines and you know, you do things that could be really harmful and doubt, doubt in the healthy zone is your discernment muscle. So all of these things in the healthy zone, even comparison, you know, comparison, how do we know who we are if we don't know who we're not? Ooh. Comparison is a good thing in the healthy zone. It's adaptive. So people pleasing outside of the healthy zone, here's what it looks like. It means we're not sending boundaries, no boundaries. We put ourselves last in our own life. Yep. We subjugate ourselves to everyone else's needs mm-hmm. and we end up losing ourselves in who we are. And here's the other thing that most people pleasers, when they get radically self-honest, will tell you is that they end up feeling resentful. Mm. So, you know, you don't think of it, but when you go back and you look and you go, oh yeah, I really was resentful. I really did. I mean, I did all this stuff for this person and then look, I needed something and they didn't do it for me. They weren't there for me or they didn't do enough for me or we play the martyr, right? Yeah. So it's maladaptive. It's not a positive trait. When you learn to say, set boundaries and say, no, you can still be a nice person. You can still say yes. When you can, but people pleasers say yes when they don't want to. Yeah. They say yes to people they don't want to, to things that they want to, but they don't have time for. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So that's not healthy. How does how does one would set boundaries for themselves? Is it small little things like, okay, only today I'm only gonna, you know, I don't know, say yes to one person or help only somebody out smaller, or I'm gonna learn to say no, and you just get little small little wins. Yeah. So with all of these traits and behaviors, there are exercises for these. And for all of these exercises, I'll talk more specifically about people pleaser, but I want you to know at a kind of a higher level for all any exercises where you're trying to change a behavior. I always suggest once you know what those exercises are doing them when the stakes are not high. Mm. doing them when it's a simple thing. Like I'm going to set a boundary where it really doesn't matter if I set that boundary or not, but I'm going to create those new neural pathways. I'm going to get used to saying no 
I'm going to get used to saying no in a nice way. It doesn't mean you just have to be rude about it. You know, in a professional setting at work, for example, you learn how to do it professionally. Sure. You know, I might go to my boss and say, I'd love to take that on, but I have all of these other things on my plate. So can we just go over my priorities and can you tell me what I can drop down on my priority list in order to do that as well? That way you're not overextending yourself. You're, you know, so you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or you say no to a friend. You say, I'd love to please ask me again. I would have loved to go to that movie, but I just can't tonight. I have a few other things that are priorities and, and we don't need to feel bad about it. With a people pleaser, when you're starting to set those boundaries and you do it again, do it when the stakes aren't high so that when things really feel like they might be difficult, you've already conditioned your brain and you're starting to like feel more comfortable. It will still feel uncomfortable, but with people pleasing, especially when you're working on that one, it's a tough one because you've conditioned other people in your life to see you as the person that will always say yes. And so when you start to say no, you're going to likely get some resistance. Oh yeah. Some pushback, right? Someone's going to go, what do you mean? You know, you're, you're always there. What's wrong with you? And you know, that's where you have to just hold it. You, you, you're very kind. You're very nice. But you say, you know, I'm really sorry. Mm-hmm. I really can't do this. Or we really do need to look at that priority. You stay calm. You stay centered. You stay grounded. And you just, you know, you, you can say no without saying the word no, by the way. There are a lot of ways to say no. And sometimes you just have to say, no, I'm sorry. I can't do that. It's okay to say no. No is a no is a whole sentence. But you learn to do this and you have to retrain not just your own mind, but you have to retrain those people around you. And guess what happens? What's that? It retrains. Well, you can imagine that you can have more peace of mind because you sure. have more room for yourself and your own life. But here's another really powerful thing that happens. Other people respect you more. Ooh, good point. People respect. Now, I want you to think about somebody in your life that's really good at setting boundaries and saying no. Okay, I got it. Do you not respect that person? You know where you stand. You know when they say no, right? Yeah, Yeah. I think I I do. But it's also a sense of resentment, too, like you were saying, too, just because I guess I know that they do that so well and I haven't mastered that. So, yeah. But that's not about them, the resentment, right? That's exactly right. That's maybe personalizing it, right? Exactly. They're saying no, are they saying no? So we have to be careful with personalizing. That's another one I talk Mm -hmm. about in the book. But the other piece of this is you gain so much self-respect when you learn to say no. And you can learn to, when other people are setting boundaries well around you, just start to change the dialogue in your mind. And start to say, wow, that is really cool. I appreciate that. Boy, I really wish they could do that thing for me. But I respect that that person knows how to set their boundaries. And be grateful that they're setting that example for you. They're giving you that model and helping you get stronger at it. Yeah. Oh, if we go back a little bit, on talking about the archetypes. And I think yeah. you have seven of them. I mean, yes. do you, in your book, do you have exercises and stuff to kind of help one identify their archetype? Yes, I do. So there are 20 exercises throughout the book. There is an exercise explained in the book 
in or, for you to, once you understand the archetypes to start to see how they show up in your world, mm-hmm. right? So, and then I also have an imposter syndrome quiz. So if you just go to my name, if you go to my website, there's a link on my website, just CherylAnnJeanette.com. And you can take the quiz and it gives you an imposter syndrome score and it really helps you. But um, would you like me to tell you what the seven archetypes are? Well, I know one of them is perfectionist. I was looking them up earlier. And oh, you were? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I related to that one too, just because, you know, the integram is the integram? Enneagrams. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. There's tests. Yeah, the Enneagrams. Yeah. And, yeah. And I was actually a, a type one, I think, and that was perfectionist on there. And yeah. so I, I was trying to wonder if there was something relatable there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the perfectionist is interesting because there are, there are four types of perfectionism and three of them are maladaptive. Four types of perfectionism, three are maladaptive. There's the self-critical perfectionist, you know, we're yeah. really hard on ourselves. Sure. There's the other critical perfectionist. So how many perfectionists do you know that are really hard on other people in their lives? And a lot of times they're not even aware of it. I had a client who said, I'm not really a perfectionist. And then she thought about it and she said, well, but I can't let my kids put their own peanut butter and jelly on their sandwiches because they won't do it right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, so we don't sometimes realize that we're driving other people crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're impacting. Yeah. And then, and you don't have to be all three, by the way, or for me, the other per- person perfectionist, like the other perfectionist or other oriented perfectionist is what it's called. I, I was really good at getting rid of that one first. Okay. That wasn't hard for me. I just learned to really give people grace and space and, but it was very difficult for me to stop being hard on myself. And then there's the social perfectionist. And that really is somebody that that can come from family dynamics that can come from culture. Many cultures like expect a certain level of perfectionism in that Mm -hmm. culture or that family dynamic. Exactly. Um, And then there are professions, right? Like lawyers and doctors and architects. My husband's an architect Nice. (laughs) and engineers. And there's just like, such um a, you know it's a lot of pressure to be yeah. perfect yeah um and the one that's adaptive i don't even like to call perfectionism because you know but but what's different is when somebody is really detail oriented and they set their standards higher but they aren't depleted by it they actually are energized by it so most of us if we really look at our energy levels we're just we're not tired. We're depleted. There's a difference. That makes when sense. 
You know what I mean? When you're tired, you're tired. You worked out hard, Mm -hmm. worked hard during the day, get a good night's sleep. When you're depleted, you feel drained. That's, that's different. Yeah. I agree hundred percent, but you know, my next question that, cause you know, in working with, you know, these self-doubts and self-sabotage almost that, you know, I, I overcome it just by like, you know, talking with people like you and learning what others have done and stuff. But do you think that an older, the older person gets the more, was it a control way? I know you said you don't really believe in control, but the more they actually have, they can figure out how it works for them and how to get over or get past imposter syndrome on themselves. Oh, I think that's a great question. I thought it was going to go the other way. Oh. I thought you were going to ask me as you get older and you get more set in your ways. Well, I guess, um, well, that's true too, but I would think that with life experiences and life, like for me, you know, I'm going to be 36 next month, but yeah. I've, you know, and you know, like I said, I've been doing CrossFit for eight years now and whenever this negative self-talk and stuff starts to come up. I kind of know how, like I said, you know, right when I hear the 10 second clock, I know to completely get it out of my head. You know, that's my, my red stop sign. So I was just thinking like, as I got, you know, cause I never really knew much about it until these last few years, but even before like my high school days and growing up that, you know, I felt like it was harder, but now, you know, I feel it's easier to get a, you know. So there are a couple of things about that. First of all, 36 is the best age. <laughs> well, there you. I loved my 30s. And I think I, I think back to like 36, 37. Those that's a great age. And I mean, I'm like going, just enjoy every second of this. Mm-hmm. If you're having ruminating thoughts or self-doubt, I want you to just focus on that. Do that inner work now so that you can just be smooth sailing ahead because. You have the best years ahead of you. The best. This is like the best time. The 20s are hard for Mm -hmm. all of us because we're really figuring it out. You know, we're out there on our own. It's some, many people say it's more difficult now. I think it's been, it's difficult in different ways for this generation than it was for my generation, than it was for my parents' generation. You know, we all had our own set of external circumstances. I agree. You know, but there's a lot coming at us in our society right now. There's just a lot. It's overload on input, decision-making, what have you. When you get past imposter syndrome, you become a much better decision-maker. Yeah. You become much better at, you know, being okay with not knowing certain things. So when you're in your 20s, um, I don't know if you know this, but men's brains are not fully developed like 24 or 25 right the frontal lobe it's, or something. it's it's actually women are more like 24 okay men are more like 28 oh, yeah. oh i didn't know that so it's they're still better at 24 than they were you can see a big <laughs> difference i raised a son my son is my son is 28 okay so, yeah but uh it's it takes a little bit. And that's because your executive function, that's like right behind your forehead, that prefrontal cortex, that's the, the executive function. That's the um, part of your brain that makes good decisions. Okay. And the connections just aren't there to the back of the brain. That makes sense. The campus and yeah. And so when those get connected, fully connected, I mean, it just, it's a physiological thing. It happens to every single male brain. It's not like anybody's, it's not a, it's not a judgment. It's not a good or bad thing. It's just the way we develop, you know, as little kids, we don't have 
chest hair, I hope at five years old. Right. Yeah. And if you're a woman, I hope you never have chest hair, but what I'm saying, I mean, exactly. it's just a physiological thing. And, and so we have to like, we have to realize that, but when you get into your thirties, you know, if you're not too hard on yourself, because there is still a lot of stress, like men are suddenly, oh, not just men, women too. And women more, thank goodness, in the workplace equally mm -hmm. um, or getting there. Um, driven, we're driven. It's like our time to create, to go, to figure out what we want to do with our life. And, you know, perhaps, you know, creating a family or moving in that direction or what have you, those are the kinds of decisions we're making, right? They're different than in the twenties yeah. and everybody's a little bit different and that changes. So you're at a great time in your life. Your brain is fully developed and some might argue. the mind is, the mind is ready and aware because awareness is always the first step that there could be some things that are out of alignment. And you, if you start with awareness, Mm -hmm. So that's what the book goes. It goes through a journey from awareness. There's five chapters just about awareness and then insight. That's where we do the deep dive into the subconscious mind. And we talk about inner child mm, and okay. all these things. And you get really clear about you and your own story and stories. Do you and think, then, do you think a lot of people are not very self-aware of themselves in, in modern times? I think that. Or they just haven't found themselves kind of what you're saying. I can't say, say most people, cause I don't know most people mm -hmm. and most of the people I hang out with and hang around or are attracted to me are pretty, they're on the journey to awareness. Like they're aware, but you know, I'll tell you in the very beginning of my book, I'm going to read this to you. It's okay. this, it's this, um, you know, I talk about, um, before each of the, of the, um, sections, I talk about that section. What does that mean? And in this one, it says awareness, which is just pertinent to your question. <laughs> <laughs> this is where it all starts, where everything begins with awareness. We don't know what we don't know, like even, even when we think we do. Mm -hmm. So let's explore. And that's where we get into it. Um, and I think that's really important. When we can just let go of this control, we can let go of thinking, you know, when we're in our 20s, we think we know everything. Sure. As you get older, you kind of you figure think that you out. don't know anything, and that's a good thing. Um, because you get curious again, you get back curious and you get more open again. And you, mm. you know, then you're growing. When you're curious, you're growing. Yeah. Um, and when you're curious, you get creative. When you're closed and you think you know everything, you get into worry and you get yeah, anxiety and you get down the wrong path. So I really like this idea of we don't know what we don't know, yeah. even when we think we do. And so I got this, I got this idea very early in my life, in my 20s. And so what I will always do, even when I have everything in front of me and I think I've got my game plan, all in my mind think, what is it that I don't know? Mm -hmm. Let's just lift the covers a little more. Yeah. And now with my, with the getting past imposter syndrome, if I start to make assumptions, like, I wonder what he thinks. Oh, he probably isn't interested. Oh, she probably is mad at me or whatever. Now in my mind, I think, oh, that's an assumption. I really don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've, I, heard, I've, heard, I've heard that before, you know, the smarter you are, the more, you know, what you don't know. And yeah. 
I've heard that in like maybe in the last year and I was like, that makes perfect sense. And yeah. I mean, and even somewhere down the road, I picked up, you know, Socrates even said, it. I forgot one point of his life. I, I, he found out that he knows that he knows nothing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wise, wise, wise. Yeah. So fear screams in the head while wisdom whispers in the heart. Mm. So we have to get out of our head because there's so much noise there. Mm-hmm. And we just take that. It's a really short journey. You just take a deep breath, really deep, hold it, and just let yourself drop into your heart. Yeah. And that's where you can get more congruent, more aligned. Yeah. A person can be their own worst enemy, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Isn't and that's one thing. I've, that's another thing I've been learning, too. The, it's like, hmm, how do you get out of your own way and stop being your own worst enemy? And you know, and, and going back to like, you know, what you're talking about being driven and stuff. And, you know, I found out that I'm pretty self-critical of myself, but I also find out that really drives me to, you know, keep doing things and challenging myself and overcome, you know, try to meet my goals just because that, you know, I feel like I don't want to be, you know, a lazy person. You know, I want to get to a certain goal. You know, one of my goals is to probably try to become a centurion and live to a hundred years old, hopefully. So, um, yeah, you know, like when I do these podcasts and stuff, I don't go back and listen back to usually I just edit little pieces and then, but I don't really listen to the whole conversation just because I don't want to say, oh man, you said that wrong. Oh, why'd you say that was dumb? You know, just because I know that, you know, I would just, it would just, you know, sabotage me almost. So that's kind of another yeah. way I've worked around that. There's an, yeah, there's another way. So did you ever watch Ted Lasso? God, I love that show. Right. That's when my, so that's crazy how that, that caught on, but right. So when there's, There are a lot of voices in our head, but for some reason, the critic takes front center and everyone gets pushed to the back. So what if you put the critic in the back and you pulled out your coach, like your very best coach that drives you and makes you feel good about what you're doing? Mm -hmm. Could you get to the same place and could you be more energized? Would you be more energized? I mean, ultimately, everyone's it's everyone's choice who they want to keep in their head everyone's choice, who they want to be the loudest voice. So I, in the book, the book is, you know, the the imposter lies within, but it's silence your inner critic, tame your fear, unleash your badassery. And the idea is that, you know what, I'd rather, if I could hang out with someone and yeah, I'm a really driven person. I love to make things happen, but I don't need somebody like screaming at you know screaming at me to do 20 burpees and telling me what a piece of shit I am (laughs) if I don't do it and that I'm you know not worth anything in order to be driven I'd rather have somebody say wow I mean you rock this is amazing please do more of what you're doing you've got this Mm -hmm. you can do it go believe right believe in yourself and so if you had your coach in your head or you had a like a different voice in your head. Could you be as driven? Could you be more driven? Could you be more energized by that? Only you can answer that question for you. Yeah, that's a great question. Just because I do wonder if you did have somebody in there just accepting and giving, you know, applauding yourself on it or applauding you on the back and stuff. And, you know, would that really drive you anymore? Because, you know, if like, oh, I met it, I'm good. You know, I can lay off a little bit, but you know, and I'm the same way, you know, when I'm doing my work and stuff, I don't need anybody in my face. And, you know, I'm, I'm very self-driven just because I know what I'm working towards and I have goals, but I think there are some people who need, need that, but I'm yeah. not one of them, but yeah, but 
I guess it all, it all, that maybe that all depends on the person and, you know, what we've been talking about over this time, maybe what life has taught them and what pathway they went down and stuff. But Well, yeah. And, you know, here's what happens too, Chris. So if if you're a certain way and you don't know another way, no one's giving you other options, mm-hmm. your mind is going to do whatever it can to make you right. So we come up with really good explanations like, well, this is really good for me. This is actually driving me. Um. But because I didn't have another option, I still want to get the same result, maybe even a better result, but I don't want to lose that. I don't want to lose that drive. And so I'm going to tell myself a good story. And that good story may not really be a good story. It's kind of like in my myth section, chapter two, a lot of people say, well, imposter syndrome is a good thing. It drives you, you know, doubt is good. When you doubt yourself, it's going to drive you to do better. Well, in the healthy zone, Doubt is your discernment muscle and it's adaptive and we want to have a little bit of doubt. You know, it keeps your ego in check. Yeah, but when it's maladaptive and you're ruminating, you know, those thoughts are just looping and you're doubting everything about yourself and you're, that's not, that's not good. No, no. Yeah. I think that's where maybe I found a balance with it. You know, kind of what I was saying that I don't doubt myself all the time, but I know that if I do, like I said, if I lay off, that's like, you're not getting any better, dude. You got to you know, stay on the ground. You got to yeah. keep going. But that's adaptive though. See yeah. what I just heard. You just told yourself, you got to go guy. Come yeah, on. That's, a, that's like my thing. Like, I talk to myself like that. I don't think I, but yeah. Yeah. Same difference. But yeah, that's what, yeah. Uh, that's what also drives me. I think because, because I know, you know, I don't, I try to keep negative and toxic people out of my life. And so that, yeah. And so that if I am thinking like that, it's like, all right, you're doing this now drive, you know, get it going, dude. This is what you got to do. This is where you, what do you want to do tomorrow? Don't you want to you know, be able to walk around and, you know, take your dogs for walks and when you get old and all that good stuff, pick up your kids yes. and all that. So yeah, it's like, that's what it's not factor. And it's like, there we go. You that's so back. awesome. I have to try CrossFit. I love that idea. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you know, the way I, I approach it is that, you know, I'll, that was my thing. When I first went into my first CrossFit class, like I wanted to be great at it. You know, I wanted to be good at it. And so that's what drove me, you know, and that's why I wanted to start competing just because I saw other people and I was like, oh, this is so much fun, you know, and I want, and it was like yeah. my competitive mind needed that at the time, you know, leaving college yeah. and all that. And, but, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't want to do, you know, bar muscle ups and 20 burpees and stuff, but that's where, and we don't have to make this a CrossFit talk, but you know, that's where just say, go in and just make it a workout then just say, Hey, I'm just want to, you know, I don't I, like burpees. I know. I, I don't either. I freaking hate burpees. <laughs> I don't, I don't blame you. I don't either. Nobody I used to do boot camps and it was like, Oh God. But yeah, it's just, like the one thing I could do anything else. Well, I can't do the pull-ups because I don't have that upper arm strength. That's Okay. So yeah, you like you don't have to, you just get a workout in. That's all it is. Just work out and just be healthy. Okay. You know, and yeah. if that's if that's my definition of it. And you know, I've felt a good, you know, balance in my life with it. And yeah, there was times where I was, you know, a little extreme with it. But now it's when I've gotten older, kind of what I was asking about that I found a good balance with it. It works for me now and it works for my lifestyle and you know, I'm enjoying it. it. Yeah. And that's what, you know, and if that's not your if if burn what burn body boot camp or boot camp, whatever you just said you were doing, if that's what your healthy is, that's great. Ooh. Yeah, I haven't done that for a while, but uh, yeah, I do like to stay in, in shape. I like to work out. Yeah, you know, and it just, you know, my mind needs it. You know, it's, you know, I love exerting myself, you know, get a little energy out, you know, and it's just yeah. easy. It's just clears my head. It makes sense to me, reloads, you know, gets some stress off me. Yeah, and, definitely. Yeah, like I said, oh, just I makes it. just makes sense to me. And, you know, I've made it part of my life. And yeah. 
Yeah. And I think we were talking about mental fitness, right? This yeah, there we go. Yeah. What you and I are talking about is like the mental fitness, but physical fitness is a big part of mental fitness mm-hmm. because that's what keeps your brain young. That's what creates neurogenesis. Yeah. You know, the new neurons, new brain cells, new creation and, and gets oxygen to your brain. And, you know, let's, especially for men, you know, you have to spend that testosterone. It gets you kind of like gets that out. And it's, it's just such a positive, positive thing. So. And and going off that Cheryl, that, uh, I heard, I thought I forgot his name, but it was a doctor talking on a podcast and he's talking about challenge yourself like that and challenging your mind and over time. And that leads to longevity. And I'm not saying you have to go out there and climb Mount Everest or anything, but you know, just doing little small little challenges day by day and just keeping your mind, you know, would you say building new neuro pathways and stuff? Yeah. So let me, let me bring that one right back to imposter syndrome for you. So, so one of the myths about imposter syndrome is that it's just for people when they're doing something new, they're for the newbies Mm. or somebody that's done something a long time, but suddenly they're in a new position in their job or they're trying something new and they feel like the imposter. Well, it's natural, right? Sure. When we're doing something new for the first time, we're kind of climbing that competency staircase. I agree. We might slip back a little. We're going to have some doubt. We're going to have some fears. We're going to question ourselves. We're on a learning curve. That's normal. That's completely normal. Um, people that experience imposter syndrome, they've had accomplishments. Now, you don't have to be old to have them. You can be you know, 12 years old and be the guy that did whatever. But Want to spell and be. Yeah, but but you know, you can do that same thing over and over that you're already really good at and feel like you're still not good enough and you're never going to be good enough. And maybe they're just lying and maybe it's just luck. So with imposter syndrome, one of the exercises I encourage everyone to do is always be a beginner at something all the time so that you're continually creating new neurons, new neural pathways. So your brain is used to that, right? Mm-hmm. You do I agree 100%. It, it keeps your brain young, but it also means when you go into something new, you're already used to being a beginner. Yeah. It's um, in Zen, they call it the beginner's mindset, mm. the beginner's mindset. And so rather than going to, oh no, I'm not good enough or what about this? You go into this place of curiosity and expectation. Like a kid would, think about a kid. Mm-hmm. When they're trying something new, before yeah. they're they become yeah. too self-aware and yeah, they have no shame, right? They're just out there. They're having exactly. a blast. They fall down. They're like, no shame. What else should I do? Let me do that. And they're just right. Yeah. So if we, but they're curious. They're curious, and they get creative. They do the most creative things. I mean, if you go back and think about yourself as a kid. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Think about the things you used to build out of sticks and stones and whatever it was out in the backyard and the bugs and the way you'd make your little ants and your bugs be the armies and whatever you did as little boys, right? Sure. But that's really creative. And so if you can embrace this beginner's mindset with creativity, my husband does puzzles every day, every single day. See, that's good. That's great. He's got a new puzzle going. He does it almost to relax, even though it's not. In my mind, that relaxing, <laughs> you know, but it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I get to, I have to figure something new out now. Yeah. I do Wordle every day now. 
That's cool. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I mean, I know that's not a puzzle, but it's fun to do. That's why I do my drink my coffee in the mornings and get my brain going a little bit. But But it gets your brain going and it makes you kind of right. Yeah. Then I get a small win for the day and it's like, got it. Sometimes I don't get it, but if I get the word, I feel good about myself, you know, starting the day right. And small wins are great because every time you get a small win, you get a dopamine hit. Mm -hmm. So anytime you're feeling like you're in overwhelm or you're not sure what to do, just do a little something where you can kind of tie the bow. You can do that thing, get your little dopamine hit, and then move on to the next thing. That's what I try to, I I know we're getting kind of short on time here, but I know that's, that's kind of what I tell people when they're trying to something new. And I said, you know, you don't have to go out there and do anything wild and crazy. You know, if you want to, you know, learn to walk or try to start walking, you know, three miles, you know, just start walking a lap around your neighborhood, you know, start by that and build off that, you know, do that for a week, the next week, maybe do two laps, you know, and get small wins. And then eventually you'll see that, Oh, you know, you can do it. It's just a matter of just challenging yourself. Yeah. I remember, um, when my freshman year in college, I remember that, um, we had a, we had a pool. And so all the girls in my suite wanted to go swim, swim laps. And I was like, oh, I hate to swim. I don't want to swim. But I went because my friends were going. And I was the only one that continued. And I dive into the water. And the first 10 laps were excruciating. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. And then I'd get to 20. And then all of a sudden, I was swimming 200 laps. I just got That's past impressive. The That's impressive. And I was doing it every day. And I was just, I just got past the threshold. You know, yeah. So sometimes you just have to kind of push through that uncomfortable piece until you're in the zone. You understand this. So the zone by kind of being um, in flow, right? Mm -hmm. When you get into flow, like you might maybe you get that runner's high or you get whatever that is. Um, That can be true just in life with anything you do with mental fitness. You just embrace the uncomfortable. You don't see it as bad. You just go, okay, this is supposed to be uncomfortable. And that's a good thing because when I get to the other side, I'm going to start to really sail along and, you know, set my boundaries really well and have this different kind of lease on life and, you know, not be the perfectionist. I'm going to let things go, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not going to worry about it too much. I'm going to laugh at it. I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to think, wow, that makes me more human, doesn't it? That makes me so much more approachable. That's cool. For sure. Cheryl, I think we should take it home on that. That's a good note to end this on, I think, right yeah. there. Um, if you want to, people want to find a book, find you, plug all that stuff and where do they do that at and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, so easy to find me if you know how to spell my name. So it's Cheryl with an S, S-H-E-R-Y-L. And Jeanette, A-N-J-A-N-E-T-T-E. You can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm not too big on TikTok, but I'm trying to get there. Not so much, huh? I don't do TikTok Um, either. Yeah, yeah. But you can find me there. You can find my website. The quiz is really great. I encourage you to take the quiz. You can go to Amazon for the book, The Imposter Lies Within. Um, if you're watching this and not just listening, that's the book. Am I getting that in the scene? Yeah, there we go. That's good. That's right there. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, and I'm very approachable and you know, anybody that DMs me, I respond personally. So that's awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you for taking the time and having a little conversation with me tonight. This was great. 
Thank you, Chris. It's been amazing. Okay. All right, everyone, we're out of here. Be good to yourselves. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.